Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations like rainbows and ropes or fruity and gummy or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts, dare to combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Malika Basu. In this episode, I'm speaking to award-winning restaurateur, TV chef and presenter Marcus Waring. Hello, Marcus. Hi, very nice to see you. It's lovely to see you. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, Marcus, you're the son of a fruit and vegetable merchant. You're going to have to tell us your earliest memory of fruits and vegetables. Wow, I mean... uh... I think that was just the fact that my dad, um, that was our main business uh, in our family. And my dad was always at his work uh, seven days a week. And so the, the sort of spending time with him and also just understanding what his job was all about was because the only time, the only time that I could ever get to see him was to actually go to see him at his place of work. Uh, so as I was sort of growing up through the school years, um, when I went to high school, which was the age of 11, uh, I was then allowed afterwards to have a sort of part-time job. So the memory begin began back when I was 11, so uh, 19, 1981. Um, so it, that was my first memory and working with him and with all those you know fabulous ingredients. Very basic, very simple, but yet uh, quite a strong memory for me. That sounds lovely. And how much do you think that sort of almost set the foundation for what you do now and what you went into, you know, seeing how fruits and vegetables were marketed, sold, you know, that whole, it must have been such an important part of your experience. I don't know at the time whether or not it's meant to the foundation because at that particular time it was a job I loved getting out of the house I loved leaving getting out of school and I don't know if it cemented the foundation of cookery but what it did do is it cemented the foundation of a work ethic and it was interesting I was just talking to some charities recently about a charity called Speakers for Schools which is to getting school pupils out into the workplace and into work experience while still at school doing GCSEs or doing their A-levels and it's very difficult for employers to be able to get people into the workplace because obviously they're young, they don't really know what they're doing and they're still unsure of where they want to go. And it's, I started to reflect back on my time with my dad and for me now, and, and, and the penny only just dropped recently, 
that that seven, eight years that I spent before I left home at 18 with him every school night and every holiday, that was my work placement. And so I had a bigger advantage than a lot of people of my, at any age uh, because I had had seven, six, seven, eight years of a foundation of work, uh, which is quite rare at the age of 17, 18 to have. It's very rare and sets you up for a great career ahead, doesn't it? No matter what you do. When did you actually start cooking, Marcus? When was that? That will be uh, my, well, obviously, it was always cooking in the family because my brother was a chef. My mom cooked every day. That was sort of her role because dad was never there. But professionally, or as in a, a working, from the age of 14, uh, I was working with my brother in his restaurant. It was actually inside the hotel that he was the head chef at. Uh, and then 16, I had three jobs, one with my dad, one in a restaurant and one with my brother. So nights, weekends, I was busy and absolutely loved every minute of it. It was, it was, it was a fabulous time for me because I found kitchens uh, and a warehouse and wagons and going to farmers markets more exciting than playing football or, or hanging out with a load of friends, you know, in the park. And so I had, I had a lot going, uh, you know, for a, for a young person, there's a lot going on in my life. That is a lot going on. Yes, the cooking and, and well, working professionally effectively, right, from an early age. Is there a favourite dish from your childhood that sticks out that you remember fondly from when you were, you know, before 14, actually? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dishes, really. But the, the, there was always a roast dinner on, on a Sunday, every Sunday regardless, uh, roasting it always. Mum did a lot of baking. We liked uh, an English breakfast from time to time. Uh, my mum always used to make uh, liver and onions. And then there'd be simple, you know, very, very simple dishes, such as just a homemade stew. Or I even remember when silly things like pop noodles came out and it was sort of a revolution in our house because we never ate Indian cuisine. We never ate Italian cuisine. We never had rice dishes or pasta dishes in the house. It was always meat, veg, fish, and lots of potatoes. But there was one dish, and it was always on a Saturday every, every now and again, and it was quite an unusual meal because I, I, I was thinking about this, and it was a roast chicken, bread, sage and onion stuffings, ham, baked ham with mustard, and sprouts, and like a little salad. And it was it's quite an unusual combination, but it was it was a, it was the meal. Oh, mustard and cress. I always remembered Ooh. mustard and cress with it. But it was... It was sage and onion stuffing and cress, egg and cress. And I remember the smell of the sage. Yeah, and it, and it was just it was like a buffet in the centre of the table, and you just used to you just used to get stuck in. And every now and again, there may be some roast potatoes there or some chips, but it was a dish that was a little bit different, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, that sounds lovely. And was it special? I can imagine that because your dad was working quite long hours, that when you actually sat down for a Sunday meal, that must have had its own sort of special family moment as well. Come with it. It was it was the time that dad was home. Yes. Special, you know, there wasn't a great deal of conversation. It was you, you ate your meal. There was a bit of conversation, not much. And it was just a busy house, but everything was based around work. So we didn't sit there for two hours. No one ever drank. My mum and dad never drank any wine. It was cooked. You eat it, you clear up, and then you crack on with everything else, whatever else you were doing. My dad would, t would tend to go back to work. But the Saturday night, I always remember, because he used to get in about 8, eight eight thirty, and we'd sit down and have a sort of family meal. And, and that was his sort of early night off. And then he was back to the warehouse on Sunday to do his bookkeeping. 
gosh, that that it's a busy life, isn't it? The life of a fruit and veg merchant. It was. Do you remember? Do you have an early memory of cooking, getting stuck in? I think the earliest memory at home would have been with with mum. She baked once a week because my dad always brought extra uh, produce home, and it was never good produce. He never brought fresh apples, oranges, bananas. It was always what he couldn't sell, so it's slightly bruised and battered and. Not 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 sell worthy, so to speak, and so she'd always bake with it. She'd batch bake apple pies, crumbles, cakes, and then she'd put them in the freezer. And I always remember helping out with her with that. And always with the Sunday roast, there was always something to do. There was always something that needed to do because it was every week, and you knew what you were going to have. Just getting into the kitchen. My mum was the only one that cooked. No one else did. We didn't actually cook ourselves. Um, it was always done by her. Uh, and and you know our, our real my real education came from working in kitchens, um, but I have fond memories of sort of standing by my mom's side, uh, watching her bake. Now that's very sweet, and of course, there's a lot being said about that now, isn't there? To sort of get children interested in nutrition and food is to just get them to help mm. in the kitchen yeah. because we've lost some of that, haven't we? Yeah, because the, our, our time in the kitchen in days gone by were because there wasn't always a, a huge distractions like there are today. You know, young people have got iPhones, they've got tons of things going on in their lives, they've got a social life, which is very important to them. There's about three, four, five, six, nine hundred channels on the television, and they've more pressure of school and their education uh, is really important. So, there's definitely more for them to to sort of take their eye off the basic things of cookery, um, which is a concern, if I'm honest with you. I don't think it's, uh, it's something that we should take lightly. It's something that certainly needs addressing, I think. Mm-mm-mm, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's probably a good time to talk about your transition to smallholding. And it's wonderful. Congratulations on the second series of your of your TV program. You. And, you know, Tales of a Kitchen Gardener, it's it's just so off the, off the moment, isn't it, to be talking about kitchen gardens and yeah. growing food. How important was that? How did you sort of fall into that from, you know, what you were doing on the TV and everything? Having been on MasterChef um, for, at that time, seven years, I never saw anything else coming my way as far as TV opportunities and different types of cooking shows. And so I, I, I managed to get uh, a meeting with the BBC and it's sort of during lockdown about doing other things because uh, I was curious as to why I'd never been invited to do anything. And at the end of an hour and a half of a Zoom meeting, Carla Maria said, hey, Marcus, the last 10 minutes, you've got a small holding. Tell me, tell me a little bit about it. And I think for the whole part of that 10 minutes, my sort of face lit up with a, a different type of excitement and this new journey that I was, I was, I was on. Uh, and so the, the Telsman Kitchen Garden sort of developed right there. But they sort of put me in touch with a producer, a maker, uh, Plimsoll, Karen, Karen Plum, and Plimsoll TV came to my house and we sat, I remember sitting there with her on a, on a very wet February uh, afternoon, not really seeing the beautiful vision of what was in front of us because it was wet, it was cold, there was nothing in the garden at all. But I spoke about what the garden was all about and what small holding was about, what the farm was all about. And that's where Tales from Kitchen Garden was sort of born. And the idea is that it's a chef who's got land, farm, kitchen garden, bees, orchard. And 
not really understanding the supply chain, the farmer, the grower. So the, the show is broken up into three areas, farming, growing and, and gardening and cooking. One of those three I'm good at. The other two I need to go out and discover. And so on that basis, that's where I go out and I investigate the, the, the heroes of our industry, the people that supply us with the fabulous produce. And that's what sort of inspired me to, to, to rethink food, to look at food in a different way, more for the home than for my professional kitchen, because that's something very, very different. The home cooking, the, the growing of ingredients, but also the incredible community that's around us that we, that we don't see because we're too busy with our lives and we all head off to the supermarkets because we can get everything we need from them. But around us in the community and around the country and in, in the city of London, there's a whole world of people doing great things with food and growing. And we need to tap into it just a little bit more, I think. And this show really does highlight that. Now that's all lovely. And so here I am in inner city London in a first floor apartment with a balcony. I haven't even managed to grow mint on Marcus. Please don't judge me. Yes. How would you describe small holding to, you know, real sort of urban ones, the ones that don't know what it is? Well, I think, you know, small holding for me is, is a patch of land that you're doing various different things on. We bought it for escapism we bought it because we wanted to do something different with our family wanted to get them out of the house uh, my, my children's schooling was down there in east sussex too and so the way i relate to it or, or try to relate it yes you could say well i'm very lucky to have which is just just almost 70 acres of land and a kitchen garden confinement of kitchen work 25 37 years in kitchens of which 25 of those have been in solitary for opportunities like that never really had the idea or the plan to do this it just happened to fall into my lap and I discovered it and I I developed it but if there's one thing I'd say to anybody that's got a window box like yourself even if it's just one thing plant something rosemary thyme some mint something and I guarantee you that when you do when you snip some herbs or you grow something and you put it into your tea or you put it into your food, it will bring a, a small smile to your face of satisfaction and that you've accomplished something. And it'll bring you a little bit of sunshine into your, into your window box, which I think is really important. And it's, it's very simple. You can either go and get some seeds and grow it yourself or, or go, to, go to your supermarket or in garden centre, just buy a little plant, get some compost, get some pots, get it planted, water it, look after it, nurture it, and the plant will take care of itself. Right. I'm feeling the pressure now. I feel like a window box needs to start going at some point soon. Would you suggest herbs as a good place to start for someone like me or someone who hasn't really done a lot of gardening, uh, you know, in their urban lifestyles? Very much so, because herbs pretty much can look after themselves. They're quite hardy. The hu we have, you know, we've got the, the soft herbs, which is your chervils, your parsley, your chives, your marjorams, and then you've got your hard herbs, which is your, your thyme, your bay leaves and rosemary and all different varieties of them. The harder herbs are the easiest ones to look after because they're almost like a shrub. Um, and so they are very hardy and, and can stand being outside through the winter and can also live quite happily indoors too. So I think herbs are the easiest thing when the, you know your window is pretty much all you've got, and it will smell good. You know, a rosemary bush it just inside on the window ledge or just inside, it will smell amazing.
Of course, you can freeze them too. It's quite expensive to buy herbs for cooking, isn't it? So you can actually snip them yeah. and pop them in, yeah. the, in the freezer. So they turn out to be quite good yeah. value, I suppose. So there's effort. The effort has a reward at the end of it. This is good. This is very good. Absolutely. In, in terms of um, young people and also reconnecting them to land. Uh, so I'm quite lucky. My children go to a school in central London where they do a bit of gardening in their playground. They then sell their produce that they grow at a local farmer's market. But what would you suggest? How does one, because you must have discovered lots of urban farms and things as well. And what's a nice way of sort of reacquainting with seasonal veg and things like that? I think like you just said, schools, there are a lot of garden centers out there. There are some great parks and places that you can go to that are making a huge amount of effort. It's about mums and dads making the effort to get on the internet and to find out what's out there. Where, where can I take my children where there's a little point of interest? And there are some fabulous places throughout, through all over the country. You've just got to just go and search what, what your needs are and get the kids out there into parks, into places where there, where you can go foraging. I think it's about, as mums and dads say to their children when they're doing their exams, you've got to read around the subject to be able to become better at it. I think we certainly need to get our children and the children out and about, even in the winter months, I think is really important. We're not in lockdown anymore. We're not locked up, yet we sometimes think we are, and we use it as an excuse. Fresh air, getting out, doing something, I think is is mentally stimulating and I think is quite important. So do some research. I, I would just advise people to do research. I, I went to, in, in one of the shows, uh, to an inner city school, an inner town actually, You'll see it on the show where the school had built a little small holding and it was practically concrete city. And the community the school, the parents, had an electrician, a woodsman, someone who could lay a bit of concrete. The whole school came together to create this little farm with pigs and chickens and a donkey. What else did they have? They had loads of different birds and the kids would all get involved. They had goats because I made them a seesaw to 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 bring to so i made this goat seesaw uh, and i took it to the school and i got talking to the kids and the kids were invited to come the whole little farm was run by the children and one teacher who was in charge of the welfare of the animals the kids loved it absolutely smiles on their faces all the jobs that they had to go through they were all involved and it was fantastic to see and you know as i was mucking out some pigs with three young lads they must have been about nine, ten years old, uh, and they were getting stuck in. They knew all the pigs' names. They knew what was they were all about. They knew what what the end goal was with them as well. They understood so much about the animals around them. But I said to them, "What are you going to do when you leave school and you've done all your exams?" And all three of them at the same time shouted out, "I'm going to be a farmer. Aww. I'm going to I'm going to farm. I want pigs. I want some animals." And I guarantee you, those boys would never have said that without that school making a huge effort. That was a that was a bit of a game changer for me to see that you can make you can achieve small things, big things if schools and parents are prepared to put the effort in. And that whole little farm was built by the parents. Well, that was the delightful Marcus Waring, everyone. Wasn't he great? What a trooper. Thank you for listening to this episode of the BBC Good Food Podcast. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe now so you're always up to date. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to scroll back and have a look at some of our other interviews. We have some great ones on our lists. And don't forget, our bonus recipe episode is out on Thursdays. See you next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.